I tell you, that's amazing to see what God can do with people who will surrender to him and trust him and yield to him. You know, because even though this weekend is coming to a close, the good news is the future is Jesus. It's trusting him. It's moving forward with him. It's believing in him. It's getting up every day saying, God, what would you have me to do? So I want you to know that this morning is a special morning, as you can see with our students, and we love them here. As a former student pastor of 25 years ago, this does my heart really, really good. I slept in my own bed, and I didn't host anybody this weekend. I'm grateful for that. Uh, but I am so thankful for the 650-plus students, host home leaders, and uh, leadership that hosted this weekend, and y'all did a fabulous job, and we're forever grateful because it is moments like this. Yes, let's give them a hand. It's moments like this that we remember. I may, if the Lord leads, share a little bit of how God touched my heart at a place like this about 25 years ago. But I want us to turn to chapter 2 of Ephesians. We've been going through the book of Ephesians, and the music has tied in with everything we've talked about. Paul's been talking about our identity is in Christ. It's not only who you are, it's whose you are. It's who you belong to. And there's been 17 people who have recently moved from death into life, and Paul is going to talk about today moving from death into life, how that transition takes place. So we're in Ephesians chapter 2, and it's an amazing thing when God touches your heart. And by the way, if you're a guest today, if you're visiting with us, don't just think this is a special service for student ministry. They're a part of it. But we want you to be touched by the Spirit of God. We want you to know that you can move from death to life today by the power of the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. It's not about what we can do. It's about what He's already done for us. And then when we by faith trust Him, He takes over. And when He takes over, good things really happen in our lives. So death to life is what Paul's talking about. We've been moving out of Ephesians chapter 1. And Paul's been flowing and talking about God, how God raised Jesus from the dead and all this power that he had that he raised Jesus from the dead. We spent all last week talking about this. This week in chapter 2, he flips the script and he talks about the power that God demonstrated when he raised you from the dead. You see, what happens when you trust Christ, you rise from the deadness of your sins and the deadness of your life into new life. So Paul's going to talk about our identity today, and he's going to do it in two parts. He wants us to remember who we used to be and who we were, and now he wants to remind us in chapter 2 what God's amazing grace has done. In fact, in a few short verses, Paul moves us from a low point to a high point. If you've ever been to California, the highest point of California and the highest point in the contiguous United States is Mount Whitney. It's 14,490 feet, uh, feet high, and it's the highest point. And when you look down from Mount Whitney, you can see lush mountains and lush valleys, and it's beautiful scenery. 80 miles from the very top of Mount Whitney is the lowest point in the contiguous United States, and it's called Death Valley, where it's 134 degrees in the shade. 
And so you move from the highest point to the lowest point with an 80-mile difference. And now Paul takes us from the lowest point in Death Valley in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, to the mountaintop of God's grace, Mount Whitney, in just a few short chapters. And so this is how fast God can make you alive in Christ. He does a work that's eternal. So with that in mind and the context set up, let's read chapter 2. And Paul says this, And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in, once you, in, what, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. That's Death Valley. Now watch Mount Whitney. Watch the mountaintop of God's grace. Watch the transition that Paul makes. Verse 4, but God. But God did something. In the deadness and the domination of our sins and our flesh and the spirit of Satan and dominating our lives, but God did something that only God can do. It's not a religious work that he did. He saved us. It says, but God who's rich in mercy. Look at the text. Because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in Death Valley, even when we were dead in our sins and trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Do you see in the few short verses how Paul takes us from Death Valley to the mountaintop of God's grace? But you must first remember who you used to be, and that's who he's talking about. He's talking to the Gentiles, how they used to be, what their former life was before they met Christ. And here's what Paul says. Look at the text. And you were dead. He didn't say you were disadvantaged. He didn't say you were sick. He said you were dead. And you were dead in two areas. You were dead in your trespasses, and you were dead in your sins. So this is important to understand. The word trespasses means to uh, willfully cross the line, to willfully transgress, to willfully choose to sin. When a child says no to a parent, there is no problem knowing who the authority is in that situation. The parent is the authority, the child says no to the authority, and there's no problem with who crossed the line there. The child crossed the line. And so what we do when we're dead in our trespasses is we step over the line. We know that God is the authority, but we don't care that he's the authority, and we transgress. We choose to disobey him. We choose to go beyond the known limits of who he is and his authority. Now, transgression and trespasses here, if you will, is a word that doesn't just mean rebellion. It means planned rebellion. It means meditative rebellion. That's what the word trespass means. It means to, to know that God is authority and to choose to energize our flesh and cross over that line. The reason that we do that is because we're dead. Notice what the text says, in our sins. It doesn't say dead to sins. Notice the text. It says dead in our sins. When you're dead to sins, that would be temptation and you're able to overcome. But when you're dead in sins, You're dominated by your flesh. You're dominated by trespasses. You're dead in trespasses. You're dominated. There's nothing that you can do as a dead person to give yourself life. You've got to depend on someone who's greater than you. But Paul talks about the first thing we are is we're dead in our trespasses. And then the second thing he says, 
is we're dead in our sins. Notice what the text says. We are dead in our trespasses and in our sins. Sins is plural. It means to miss the mark. It means to shoot at a target, and when you shoot at that target, you miss that target. The the arrows go flying over here. And it means you hit something else, but you don't hit the target. So we're not perfect. We are not born perfect. We're born sinners. And so we're born dead in our trespasses and we're dead in our sins. We, we not only miss the mark, we continually miss the mark because we're dead. That's what dead people do. We miss the mark. So actually, there are people who are living who are really dead. We actually are living, we're breathing, we're moving. It's called the walking dead. Hello. We're walking dead men. We're walking about, we're living life. There are walking dead people in Walmart. There's walking dead people at Starbucks. There's walking dead people, places like I go, Pally Royal. There's walking dead people everywhere. So what you have to know This weekend, and what you need to know about the truth of the gospel is that we are all born dead to God, dead to God and alive to ourselves. We're dead in our trespasses and we're sins. Now, we have original sin. This is important to understand. Original sin is the sin in Adam because we're born uh, separated from God and we're born dead to God and alive to ourselves. We're born into the family of Adam. That's original sin. Now, when a football player and an lineman jumps offside, it's not just the lineman who gets penalized. It's the whole team that gets penalized. And that's the way it is by being born into the family of Adam and the family of sin. We're all penalized because Adam sinned. God told Adam, don't touch of that tree right there. Don't eat of that fruit. And when he did, he died. You say, no, he didn't. He continued to live. Physically, he was a walking dead man. He continued to live physically, but spiritually, on the inside, he died. So original sin is passed on to us. We are born dead in our sins. Because of Adam, the whole race is set off course, and we're dead in trespasses and sins. So that's original sin. The second thing is there's inherited sin. The Bible talks about we're born in iniquity. So this is what is transferred from your mama and your daddy. We were born in sin. It's called inherited sin. And then there's personal sin. And that's what Paul is talking about, trespasses and sins, where we willfully choose to cross that line and defy the authority of God. Although we know God is authority, we choose to trespass anyway. We choose to step over that line because as a walking dead person, That's what we do. We have no hope apart from the power of Christ in our lives. So Paul talks about being dead in your trespasses and sins. At Angola State Prison in Louisiana, there are men that are on death row. And they have a saying, when the men that are on death row get out of their cell, they shackle their hands and they shackle their feet, and everybody says there's a walking dead man on the floor, and they're right, because they are going to have the sentence of death applied to them. They are on death row. But I want us to understand this this morning, that we are all on death row today because of sin. Sin misses the mark of perfection with God, and somebody had to come and pay for our sins, and his name is Jesus Christ. So don't think, oh, I'm not at Angola State Prison. Listen, we're all born dead in our trespasses and sins, and we must understand the death sentence is on all of us. That's what Paul says. 
So he's taking us to Death Valley here. He's taking us to the lowest place. And he wants us to remember, this is what happened to you. This is who you used to be. Now notice the text. Here's what he says. In which you also walked according to the course of this world. Okay, so not only are we're, we're, now we're, we're walking dead men. We walked according to the course of the world. Now this is the age, the present age, the course of this world. Now the course of this world is a course that's filled with sin, with all the people that have missed the mark. And so the devil wants you to live for yourself, wants you to lift up yourself. And the whole course of the world that we live in is do whatever makes you feel good and whatever makes you happy. Just fulfill your flesh and your desire and you'll be okay. Because here's what our world says to us. Basically, we're all born pretty good. That's just not Bible. We're not born good. We're born dead in our sins. And so this is important to understand. So Paul says, not only are you dead in your sins, but you walked around like the course of this world and everybody else was walking dead people there. And then he says, according, verse 2, to the prince of the power of the air. Now, so not only am I dominated and I'm dead in my sins, but I've got a satanic influence on my life that just magnifies my trespasses and my sins. So when my flesh chooses to sin, and when my flesh chooses to walk across that line, I've got the influence of Satan and all of his demons pressing against me because that's what team I'm on. I'm actually on Satan's team before I move over to God's team. So I'm influenced not only by my flesh, I'm influenced by Satan and all of his demons. And that's what he's saying. You're, you're dead in your trespasses and sins and you're walking according to the course of this world, which is basically a demonic world, a world by the prince of the power of the air. And then he says, the spirit, look at verse two, who now works in the sons of disobedience. Not only am I dead in my sins, not only am I dominated by my flesh, but I'm disobedient. Your parents didn't teach you how to lie, did they? No. They didn't teach you how to sin. That came because we are inherited. We have inherited sin, and we are born in sin. So that's what's important to understand. It's kind of like this, if you will. You know, when you go to HEB, you may say, you know, I'm going to go get some milk, and I'm going to go get some cereal, and I'm going to get uh, some yogurt. And so we pick and choose those things in the store that we want. You know what Paul is saying? You didn't just do that with your flesh. You didn't just walk into the store and say, hey, I'll take a little strife here. I'll take a little pride here. I'll take a little flesh over here and then walk out of the store and bag it all up. You know what Paul says? You lived in the store. That's what your life was apart from Jesus Christ. You were dominated at the store of sin. Not only were you dead in your trespasses and sins, but your flesh took over and you lived in that store of uncleanness. And not only that, the satanic pressure that you had on your life and the demonic power just stirred it all up. You were one big mess. We are not basically good. Don't believe that. We are absolutely bankrupt and broken people who need a savior. And Paul's fixing to flip the script here. But he's letting us know how bad Death Valley really is. So notice what he says here in verse 3. He says here in chapter 2, verse 3, among whom also we also conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh. So the flesh never is satisfied. The flesh is never satisfied. The flesh always wants more. Sin always wants more. 
you know, God gives us some healthy appetites. You know, the, the appetite and the hunger for food that some of you are you're feeling right now, right? And, and, and the desire for warmth and comfort and sleep. Those are God-given desires. Now watch this. But when you take the influence of Satan and you take the influence of the lust of your flesh, you'll take something that God has given you, which is the desire to be hungry, and then it'll move into gluttony. Listen carefully. You'll take a God-given desire of you know, warmth and comfort and you'll move it to a whole nother level and Satan will be behind that. You know, God created sex and it's a natural desire for us. God created that appetite within the confines of marriage. But when you take the lust of your flesh and you take the power of the demonic, then he moves it into extramarital affairs. And so you see what may be good, what God created in us a desire for a healthy appetite is totally perverted in our minds and our hearts. Paul says you're totally dominated by your flesh. The lust of your flesh and then the fulfilling of the desires of your flesh. So we get to the point where we say, wrong is right, and right is wrong, and we convince ourselves of that because our mind is so twisted apart from Christ. It's so twisted. We are just dominated. We're dead. We're deceived. We've been devilishly deceived by the enemy. The wrong is right, and right is wrong. And the point is, we need to be saved from our deadness, from our domination, and from ourselves. And Paul says, I've got good news for you. Look at what he does. That's Death Valley. I just painted you a picture of Death Valley. But now look what he says here. But God. I'm going to tell you here this morning, whoever you are, it does not matter what you're doing. It doesn't matter what sin you're involved in. It does not matter what situation you find yourself in this morning. But God is big enough and he is powerful enough to intervene. Religion is man's attempt to get to God. Salvation is God's intervention in a man. Salvation is Jesus saving us and stepping us in and moving toward us. But God, I'm so thankful that God touched my life. I'm so grateful that there's a but God because in the butts of the Bible turn great hinges of truth. If you're taking notes, write that down. But God, but God. Now here's, so the bad news of sin is met with the good news of salvation. That's what the text says. Now, there are a lot of religions today, and people use religion, and there are different approaches today to basically say we're okay, to basically say all religions lead to a path to a God. And, and I'm going to give you some of the religions, and I'm going to give you what they believe, and I'm going to tell you at the end why Christianity is not a religion. So all religions have a path to God. Buddhism says this, what saves you is ceasing desire. Confucius says it's self-reflection, it's self-cultivation, it's living a moral life. Hinduism says you detach from your separated ego, making an effort to live in unity with the divine. Orthodox Judaism says it's about repentance, it's about prayer, it's about working hard to obey the law. The New Age movement is about gaining perspective where you see yourself connected with divine oneness. Uh, I lived in Albuquerque, New Mexico for many years. And it was the land of the fruits, flakes, and the nuts. <laughs> People were chanting on the, I mean, I went to a, um, 
the courthouse one day, uh, just went to the courthouse, just to visit the courthouse. And while I was there, people were chanting and, and the sun was shining and chimes were, listen, and that's, a lot of people use this because here's what most people will say. The most common response to religion is, I'm a good enough person and I've done good enough works and I'll use my own merit to get me into heaven. That's what people say. But here's what I want to say to you. Salvation is a gift. It is not a reward. You cannot work for it. It has already been done for you in Jesus Christ. And so these people that would say all religions have a path to God, not the God of the Bible. There's one way. His name is Jesus Christ. He is the only way to get to heaven. He's, he said, I am the way the truth, and the life. I'm not one of the ways. I'm not some of the ways. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. It sounds like that's a very narrow way. It is. It is a narrow way. It's a narrow way that leads to life. It's a way that leads to life. And so salvation is a gift. So when Paul says, but God, look at the text here, but God who is rich in mercy... If you want to know what riches are, go to God. Go to God for riches. He's so rich. He's so powerful. He's so beautiful. He's got enough riches for you. And so God, the text says, is rich in mercy. Notice the text. Verse 4. Because of his great love with which he loved us. It's not just love that brought us out of the deadness of our sin. It's great love, right? It's great love. He's rich in mercy. And he has great love. So only great love can pull us out of the position of deadness in our sins. And this great love raises us up from the deadness of our sins. And not only did God raise Jesus, but Jesus has raised me from the dead when I put my faith and trust in him. But God, who is rich in mercy. If you want riches, you go to God. He is full of riches. He's full of mercy. And he's full of grace. And he loves you in spite of you today. He loves me in spite of me. We are all flawed. We're all messed up. But God came down. But God is rich in mercy. I remember when I was a teenager, and uh, I worked at Sackowitz Warehouse, downtown Houston. It paid four and a quarter an hour. That was minimum wage back then. And I went to work for Sackowitz Warehouse. And this is kind of a highfalutin, I'm going to use a term that's old school, highfalutin place where you shop. You better have some money if you go to Sackowitz, uh, the store. But I worked in the warehouse. So all the stuff came in on the truck, and we had to sort the stuff. And then I'd get in the truck, and we'd take the suits and the ties and the belts and the dresses to Sackowitz. I worked in the warehouse. I never saw a price tag. So one day I decided I'd go to the real thing. I'd go to Sackowitz. And I went into Sackowitz, and I thought, I'm just going to get the cheapest thing in this store. So I grabbed a belt. I grabbed a belt, and I promise you, I put that belt on the counter. And the lady, I said, how much is that? The lady rang up the charge of the belt, and my knees buckled, and I almost fell down. And in not knowing how to escape this, because I didn't have any money in my pocket whatsoever, not that much money, I decided that I would just kind of work around the store and make myself get away of escape and get out of there and leave that belt on the counter. But God taught me a lesson that day. Don't ever put anything on the counter that you don't have enough to pay for it if you don't have the money in the bank. Now, I want to say to you this. God has enough 
money in the bank, has enough forgiveness in the bank, has enough strength in the bank, has enough power in the bank, has enough mercy in the bank, that no matter what your debt of sin is, that God has enough money in the bank to take care of that. And he took care of it on the cross of Calvary. He died a sacrificial death. A perfect sacrifice was him on that cross. And he has enough money in his account to take care of the salvation for you because he's rich in mercy. So when you lay your sins on the counter and you say, I can't pay for it, you're exactly right. You can't pay for your own sins, but Jesus has paid it all. All to him I owe. Right? That's what richness and mercy means. He says he's rich in mercy. Look at the text. It's flowing. We're getting to the mountaintop of God's grace here. He's rich in mercy. The text says he's rich in mercy. My, my, my vision changes on a daily basis and even during the sermon. I know exactly where I'm at. He's rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even, look at the text, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. It doesn't say he made us alive in Christ. It said he made us alive together with Christ. Now watch this. When you trust Christ as your Savior, and the 17 of you that did, the moment you bowed before Him, the moment you trusted Him, Christ made you alive together with Him. The resurrection that He exhibited when He came out of that grave is the same resurrection that happened to you when you came out of the grave of your sin. You were made alive together with Christ, not with the church, not with a student ministry, not with a family. You were made alive together with Christ. You are an Easter person because Easter's every day. You're alive forevermore. And Jesus Christ has paid the ultimate price and you now have Him living in your life. You're made alive together with Christ. If you're here this morning and you know for sure that you have not moved from death unto life, what are you waiting for? Jesus has already paid the price. You can be made alive together with Christ. All you have to do today is bow before Him. Repent of your sins. Say, God, I can't save myself. I am dead in my trespasses and in my sins. And I'm trusting you to do what only you can do. And you have resurrection power. The text says we're made alive together with Christ. We're Easter people. And we're trusting in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So he says you're rich in mercy. You've been made alive together with Christ. Notice what the text says. By grace, you have been saved. By grace. If you're taking notes, write this down. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. That's mercy. Grace is getting something you don't deserve, and justice is getting what you deserve. Now, you think about this for a minute. God is not saving you. God does not make you alive today because of the good that he sees in you but the good that he sees in him. He didn't come to make bad people good. He came to take dead people and make them alive. That's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the truth of salvation. That's what Jesus Christ has come to do. He has come to take you in the deadness of your sins and make you alive. So so justice is getting what we deserve. If God acted on a just basis today, it would be over for everybody in this room. If God acted on a just basis today, it would be over for everybody in this room. But you see, what happened is sin needed to be punished. God had a plan for Jesus 
to be the satisfaction, to be the propitiation for our sins. So God only accepts the sacrifice that he is willing to accept, which is his son's payment on the cross for your sins and for my sins. So the wrath of God was taken out on Jesus so that God would never have to take his wrath out on me and you. So when we think about justice, if we get what we deserve, it's over. Here's what we deserve. Let me tell you what we deserve. Hell. That's what we deserve. We are broken, sinful, dead people. And if we get justice today, we deserve hell. But God took justice and he says, listen, Jesus was the payment for the sins. He was the perfect sacrifice. And then he says, you're saved by grace. That means you get something you don't deserve. That's what grace is. Grace is God's unmerited favor through Jesus Christ. So if you think this, God doesn't give me justice and he doesn't even give me uh, mercy in the sense of not getting what we do deserve, but he gives me grace, something that I don't deserve. Let me see if I can explain it to you like this. When I was in high school, I got a speeding ticket for 80 miles an hour in a 50. <laughs> but I have friends in high places. And so if I'm going to get justice, then when I get that 80 mile per hour ticket, if justice is going to be done, the police officer is going to pull me over and he's going to write the ticket. And he did. I got justice that day. But when I went to court, they say always go to court because if the officer doesn't show at court, that's a good thing. Because what they do in court is they start out by saying, A, Adams, uh, Bueller, Cassidy, and they would say, officer present. Officer present, officer present. So if officer was present, then he was there and can uh, prosecute the charges against you, and basically you're going to pay the fine. You're guilty. Now here's what happened to me. They got all the way down the list. My name, the last name is Tomlin. I got down to Tomlin. And they said, Tomlin, and I'm thinking, please don't be here. Please don't be here. Please don't let me hear officer present. I didn't hear officer present. So I jogged to the front of the courthouse, the courtroom. I jogged, seriously. I was floating. And the judge did not even ask me if I was guilty. Here's what they said. Mr. Tomlin, would you scoot over here? Because, yes, justice is you, you went 80 and a 50. I'm guilty, but I never had to plead guilty because when the officer isn't present, then you're free to go. So the judge said, you're free to go. Now, if you think about that and you apply that to salvation, that's exactly what God did in Jesus Christ. The justice is we deserve to be punished for our sin. But thank God Jesus was the payment for our sin and he mixed mercy with grace and he let me go free. And when the officer says, officer present or officer not present, I'm free to go. The son has set me free because the charges that were held against me are no longer held against me because of the payment of the son of God. Freeman, you are my child, you are my son, and it's not because you're good, it's because I'm good. I've extended mercy to you, I've extended grace to you, and all you've done is receive the free gift that was already yours. Think about that. That's what God offers you through Jesus Christ today. He has made you alive in Jesus Christ. That's what the text says. Let me close by uh, just saying something that many of you don't know. In 1983, I, knew, I was a Christian. I was baptized by Brother John in the chapel. I was seven years old. I trusted Christ as my Savior. It wasn't a weekend like this. We didn't have those back then. We just all met in the chapel. 
And I got saved. My dad led me to the Lord. I trusted Christ as my Savior. I was baptized. And then when I got into middle school and high school, I started making some really poor choices. Really poor choices. Really bad choices. And I want to say to you this morning, you're one choice away from a blessing. Listen carefully. But you're also one choice away from a disaster. And if you don't yield to Christ, and if you don't trust Christ, and if you don't let Him give you the power to make those choices, you're going to end up like I did. By the end of high school, my life was a wreck. I had made some poor choices. I was living in the consequences of those choices. And somebody invited me to a camp in Brownwood, Texas, 1983. You know what? I said, I don't want to go. This girl, who was a cheerleader of mine in high school, she was my basketball cheerleader, gave me goodies all year long. Her name was Tammy Evans. She grew up in this church. She kept knocking on my door. Freeman, would you come to camp? I said, I don't want to come to camp. I don't want to come to camp. I'm enjoying what I'm doing. My flesh is taking over. I have Christ in my heart, but I can still choose to live in the flesh and not engage the Spirit of God in my life. She kept bugging me and bugging me and bugging me. And finally, I said, just to get you off my back, I'll go to camp. And I did. 1983. On a Thursday night, David Walker was preaching. I heard nothing he said all week long, but the Spirit of God touched me. In 1983, on the back row at a camp in Brownwood, Texas, no air conditioning, this is ceiling fans in Brownwood, Texas, and I stayed at the front of the altar for about three hours, and I I prayed and I cried till my nose stopped bleeding. And I was broken over my sin. I knew I was saved, but I was breaking God's heart by the way that I was living. And in 1983, God gave me another opportunity. And I'm standing here talking to you that the age of the students that I was, and you have an opportunity to make a positive choice today. You have an opportunity to not go down the road that I went. But I want to tell you what, God's grace that saved me at age seven was enough grace to get me right and get me back on the track in 1983. I'm going to tell you how amazing this grace was because in 1985, I went to the same camp again. My heart's right. 1985, they give an invitation and I, st- I ran out into the woods and all the, camp- all the leadership was going, when campers are lost, what do we do when campers leave the, the, ser- the service? For two hours, I wandered in the woods and I found my way into a cabin and I went into the cabin and there were notes everywhere. It was the pastor's notes. David Walker, Brother John knows him very well. And in 1985, God called me into the ministry. And by the grace of God, I'm standing for you today to tell you it's the call that keeps you in the ministry. It's not people that keep you in the ministry. It's the call of the grace of God on your life. And maybe there's a student here today that you know you're dead in your sins and you know you're dead in your trespasses and you have yet to trust Christ. You haven't joined the 17 that have trusted Christ. But today you could say, you know, I'm at the end of this thing. I'm tired, I'm wiped out. But you can trust Christ today. And Christ can make you alive together in Him. Today He can make you alive. And for those of you that aren't students, that aren't young like me, He can still make you alive. He's got that much power. He never runs out of energy and He never runs out of power. He's inexhaustible in all of His ways. And maybe there's a student here today like I was in 1985. And you know God's tugging at your heart. And maybe it's ministry. You say, is it ministry? Let me tell you who all ministry is. Ministry is about the king and the kingdom. 
And if you'll just yield to him, if you feel this special call, maybe it's to preach, maybe it's to do whatever God has called you to do, whatever it is, if you'll yield to that call today, I tell you, there will be peace in your heart and peace in your life. And when you lay your head on the pillow in just a few minutes, you can be at peace if you're already not there. Here's what I want to tell you. God wants to do something in your life today. He's already done a great work in our student ministry. He's already done a great work in our church. The Envision display, you can't miss it. It's as big as a Christmas tree when we leave here. You can look at the future of the student ministry. I'm grateful for the building of lives that Cody and Chuck and his team do in here. But listen, at the end of the day, it's about yielding and trusting and surrendering your life to Jesus Christ. Would you like to do that today? If you're a student, you can do that. Donnie did a great job this week. I've heard in worship with uh, Sydney and the team. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you can receive Him today. You can trust Him today. Would you bow your head with me this morning as we close out? Father, we thank You for Your Word. I pray for... I pray for students in this room that still at the end of journey have not let you have their way in their life. They're still holding on. They're still trying to figure it out. I pray you would minister to them. I pray right now you would touch students' lives. For those that haven't made a decision that you are prompting them to do, I pray that they would let go and let you have their way. If it's salvation, I pray they receive salvation. I pray they would repent of their sins and they would tell one of their leaders, even as they go home today, hey, I've, I've met Christ. I want to trust Him. If you're here this morning and you're bankrupt and you are dead in your sins and trespasses, just like all of us, we're just one big family that's dysfunctional in this room apart from Christ. Christ has a plan for your life. And He wants you to trust Him. You can yield to Him right now. You can receive the free gift of salvation. You came in here hopeless and desperate and depressed and down. And God wants to turn it around for you because the two words you need to remember from the message is, but God. God can make you alive together in Christ. And if you'll trust Him and you'll receive Him into your life, everything that is old has passed away and everything becomes new today for you. Receive that free gift of salvation today. For someone here who maybe God's dealing with you in the ministry, a special call, maybe this is your day. Maybe you're like me. You're going to need to go home and spend some time out in the wilderness, out in the woods, clarifying that call. But if you'll yield today, God will just give you the ability to hear from Him each step of the way. Listen, God's doing so much in our church and so much in our lives. We just want to trust Him. Whatever decision you need to make today, we have a connection room. As you exit out these doors, you can walk into that connection room. You can take the card in front of you and you can write whatever decision you have on your heart and mind today. Whether you're a teenager or an adult, you can take that card to that connection center where there's people there to love you and encourage you and pray for you. If you want to trust Christ as your Savior, you've done that, let them know. Maybe the baptism has encouraged you to be obedient in faith today. That's the place to go. The place to go with a special call is there for prayer. 
This is maybe your last opportunity. Don't waste it. Don't leave here without settling accounts with God. Father, we love you today. We're thankful for what you're doing. We pray that we could continue to be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. It's in your name we pray. Amen.